when it comes to our, our health and our wellness, I think what everyone sees is this like very, very tip of this iceberg, which is our weight, our size, what we're eating, how we're moving our body, all these things that people can physically see. And then, you know, below the surface of the water, this is huge mass of emotion and stress and true health and, you know, and, and mental health and the way that we view ourselves and our body image and all this stuff that boils up under the, under the water. And, but everyone only sees this little tip at the top. Welcome to Let's Thrive the Podcast, a place for holistic storytelling with none of the BS and a whole lot of fun. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and my mission is to interview guests that inspire, educate, and empower you to live your best life. In these stories, you will see a part of your own journey reflected in theirs and learn to grow from it. And with that said, let's thrive. Welcome back to Let's Thrive the Podcast. This is a place for all sorts of discussions and conversations on 360 wellness, focusing on that mind, body, spirit, 360 approach, my friends. Thank you for listening, whether you're an OG or you're new to this episode in particular. It's a pleasure to have you here. I love connecting not only with the phenomenal guests, but with all of you that listen, whether that's on Instagram or email or sometimes in person. Say hi if you're in Austin, Texas, as that's where I'm currently living. Uh, But yeah, overall, it's just such a great opportunity for connection and sharing knowledge and wisdom and insight and experiences. So yeah, just some podcast appreciation happening here today. But I just finished recording with today's phenomenal guest. There's that word phenomenal again. Uh, (laughs) Sarah Chow of Balanced by Sarah. Oh, I loved this conversation so much that here I am recording the intro right afterwards because I'm just bubbling with excitement and just feel good energy from such a great chat. Like I, I don't know, I wasn't sure what direction we'd take it, but we just started out about talking, you know, with her decision to become an RD, registered dietitian and where that led things. And then before you know it, we're just having such a great deep conversation and it really got me reflecting on a lot of my own current struggles and I I shared them in the episode and I'll touch on them a bit here but it's summer 2021 if you're listening to this when it's out a few weeks maybe a few months afterwards and the struggle is real I've always struggled with this time of year just leaving winter and coming into a new season where you know it's summer it's hot. It's very hot now here in Austin. And I hate sweating. Yeah, I sweat insanely. So I'm all about less layers, not sweating as much, all that. But with that, for me at least, has always come a lot of body insecurity and body image struggles. And, you know, I contribute that to years and years of dieting and diet culture and having an eating disorder and just because of the society and the media we have all around us painting these unrealistic ideals of what they say our bodies should quote-unquote look like and so yeah it's like I do struggle and while I'm working through it this year I have a therapist I'm doing all the work to work through it it's still hard I mean the other day I My friend wanted to go to these like swimming holes, you know, sit in the river. And I just woke up in such a bad body image day. And 
I just kept body checking and I kept feeling just so insecure and I was like, wow, this isn't fun. I haven't felt this way in a while. Why does this have to happen the day I'm about to go put on a swimsuit into a public place? And I don't know, I think it just took me some time and I journaled a bit and I just tried to be gentle and compassionate for myself and I put on the damn swimsuit and I went out and had a blast because at the end of the day, you know, it's, I, I, I just had to remind myself I am more than my body. This friend loves me for me. He is not concerned about my body in the slightest. Nobody else is concerned about my body. And if they are, they should be doing some self-reflection because they should not be eyeing my body up or thinking about it or judging it. That's something else I always try to remind myself of. Uh, but yeah, so overall, you know, it's just an interesting time of year overall. Oh my god, what is it with me in repeating words today? Can you tell I'm tired? Uh, but yeah, so it's just been an, a curious, I was about to say interesting again, but no more repeat words. Joking, of course. Oh my gosh, this intro is going all over the place. I'm sorry. But yes, we're working through the body image, the body struggles, insecurities overall here. And I just hope this episode can bring you some peace of mind, give you something to think about, really remind you of what matters, you know, when it comes to wellness and self-worth and how you live your life. Uh, as I said, Sarah is an ED compassionate RD she does phenomenal work, and I just love following along. And in this conversation, we really discuss a lot of not only her experience and knowledge from being an RD and her schooling, but also just diving into some of the nitty-gritty details. And I really asked her some interesting questions that I've been thinking about, and she gave some scientific and own experience insight into them, such as you know, the science behind body image struggles when it comes to body checking. Why do we body check? What does it mean when we do it? How can we help work through it? Also touching on comfort foods and what it does in our mind. Uh, the difference between compassionate eating and guilt-ridden eating and just really untangling all of these deep-rooted habits, thoughts, beliefs, and fears that we hold in regards to our body and food and all of that. So it's a very fascinating, informative episode. I was on the edge of my seat, just listening so intently, <laughs> taking it all in, soaking it all in, knowledge to a sponge. Uh, and then, yes, as I said before, just lots of good body image reminders, affirmations in here. So I rest easy knowing that you will all take something away from this episode. And if you'd love to connect, we are both bubbly, outgoing people. Would love to connect with you on the gram. Not sure why I'm saying that last part, but Sarah is on there at Sarah, or no, her website is Sarah Chow. On Instagram, she is at Balanced by Sarah, linked below. And I'm on there at Emily Feichels and at Let's Thrive Podcast. Once more, let us know your thoughts. Let's connect. Let's chat. And I hope you enjoy this episode. So without further ado, let's begin. If I get a moment of inspiration, I'll make a great post, whatever it is. Like it's just yeah, absolutely feeling. So mm -hmm. yeah. When it's less of a job and more of a hobby for me, it still like contributes to my like income, of course. But yeah. Um, at the same time, it's like also leading me to a path that I definitely want to go down, which is which is nice to have that flexibility and to have like like that creative sense of me. And that's kind of why I made my Instagram in the first place, was to be able to 
have some sort of creativity because school is so like science-based and like, you know, not really about food and not really about like the nutrition side of things. It was so like scientific at first. And now it's like, I can really embrace the nutrition piece of things and embrace the food piece, but also just like have fun with it and be show that little, like that creativity strength of mine that I, that I do enjoy. Yeah. Well, I guess, and if you're okay to like jump in here, I mean, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like everything goes on this podcast and so no worries about that, but yeah. then, like, I'd love, so what prompted, you said you, so you started the Instagram when you were in school. Yeah. Um, did you always know you wanted to take like the dietic route? Like what, what prompted you to really kind of embark on that journey with college yeah. and everything? Cause it's not an easy, you know, it's yeah. not like a lighthearted decision to make, you know, a yeah. lot of, so, absolutely. yeah. I think a lot of people come to it kind of later on in life of realizing they want to be a dietitian, but it was actually fairly early for me. So in high school, I had always wanted to be a business major because my parents had always told me it was a financial, like kind of a like a successful place to go. It's, it's a nice trajectory. You could kind of just figure it out and go from there, have a stable job. But I realized I really had my heart in wanting to just not just help people, but also go into some sort of medical field. I knew being very self-aware as I am, I knew I wasn't smart enough to be a doctor and I knew I couldn't handle the like the gore and the blood and the bodily fluids of becoming a nurse. So I kind of found this middle ground of maybe a physical therapist, maybe some sort of health field. Um, and I turned to, I turned to food at that point because I really liked nutrition. I was really interested in food itself since I was younger. And I was like, oh, what a great way to kind of meld these two like hobbies of mine into a career of some sort. So I actually decided around my senior-ish year of like high school that I wanted to go into dietetics for like completely random reasons of like just wanting to generally help people and generally wanting to like be in the health field. Had no idea what a dietitian was, had no idea like where to start, what to do. I actually went to an open house and um, I, I don't want to say in the school, but the, the, the career counselor was saying like, oh, have you ever Googled how much a dietitian makes? I think you would want to change your mind about that. And me and my dad looked at each other and we're like, should we go home now? Like, they just don't have what I need here. Like, um, it was so awkward. And I, I was told that a couple of times that like, you know, being a dietitian would be a good second income or, you know, things like that. Um, but it was something I was really, really passionate about for honestly very little reason. I'm not sure why I was so passionate about it, but I'm really happy I stuck it out through all of that because I think a lot of people are really kind of wanted to persuade, like kind of tried to persuade me away from it. Um, and so, yeah, so I kind of just, I did kind of stumble into it just with this, trying to find a middle ground of like a healthcare position that I was more like a therapist, that I didn't have to touch people. I didn't have to touch blood. I didn't have to work with like, you know, kind of gross stuff. Um, and that's kind of how I fell into this. And, and yeah, it's taken me crazy lengths at this point. I, I never yeah. thought I would be where I am right now in this, in this position by any means. Yeah. I mean, A, it's always fascinating to me how many people give their opinions on things that have no relation to them and at all, and yet can hold so much weight to us they're giving them to. So, hey, I'll just put that out there for anyone in college or career or anywhere. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I still remember that so like deeply. Right. Yeah. I feel that it's crazy how like these things that people probably don't even think twice about saying, but they're impactful opinions and like Mm -hmm. they stick with you or even. Oh, yeah. And especially in those like college, post-college, like years when you're going through so much change and you're already so formative. Yeah. And like, you're already shaky about like, what am I doing? Who am I? All this stuff. And then all these people, you know, give their opinions here and there. And it's just, 
crazy, but, but right. yeah, glad you stuck with it. Cause I'm I mean, so glad I, stuck now, with it. <laughs> I mean, it practically is like they were saying, it'd be like a good side job or whatever, but it's neat. Cause as we were talking before we officially started, like now you get to do this counseling, like this day job that you do enjoy on the side. And then you get to have like the creative fun stuff. And it's just such a great combination, it seems for you in particular. And yeah, absolutely. Because you get to bring that knowledge from such an academic background into your Instagram and yeah. actually help people. And so I'd love mm-hmm. to talk, you yeah. identify as an ED compassionate RD, correct? Mm-hmm. And so I'd love to talk about that bit there, like what got you started in the eating disorder realm and sort of that mindful wellness, which is what this podcast really tries to hone in on as well. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I actually kind of stumbled into the eating disorder recovery realm. Um, I had an internship at Mount Sinai Hospital when I was a sophomore, like a sophomore in, in college. I was just starting the dietetics program. I had barely even known what a dietitian was at that point. I was just really excited to be one for some reason. Um, and I actually got an, an internship in the eating and weight disorder center there. It's just, um, it's like a big research team. They have a dietitian who runs um, a few programs. So there's an intensive outpatient program. And that's the, that's the program I worked the closest with. And I loved that dietitian. I learned so much from her. And, but I was really thrown into that. And that was like my first taste into being a dietitian is this is this realm. And I didn't know anything else at that point. And I went through school and I had such a wonderful experience at that summer and in, in Manhattan, nonetheless, like I loved the city. I loved the food scene. You know, it was such a wonderful time. And then I went back to school in rural Connecticut and was like, oh, like this is a little different than what I was expecting. Um, with the program, like, I'm not sure if I want to go down all these different clinical paths or all these other paths that um, a lot of my colleagues wanted to, or my peers, I guess, wanted to go down. Um, So I had specifically advocated for myself, like, I have this experience in eating disorders, can I do more in this? Is there options for me? Are there internships? So the way that my program worked, it was like a coordinated program. So it was internships on top of school kind of melded in together, which I thought was great to learn. but the last semester of that year was pretty much all internships. So you got to kind of pick all these different rotations. And I was like, give me as many eating disorder ones as I can. I did residential care. I did outpatient. I did as much as I could in that field just so I could learn more because I didn't learn enough in my, in my training because not everyone wants to go into that. It's such a niche place to go into. Um, so I really had to seek it out for myself. Um, and then I ended up getting a job at UConn and staying at UConn to do my grad school. And that was actually primarily eating disorder, um, outpatient eating disorder care as well. Um, I think it was, I knew that I was going into that, but I didn't realize how difficult it would be, I think, um, at a college level and having to send so many people to higher level of care, having to counsel people in this way. It's, there was just a lot more that I didn't really realize until I actually stepped into the role myself, not as an intern, as like the actual dietitian counseling, taking on all of these people's you know, stories and, and things of that nature. So that's kind of how I winded down this path to where I am now in Boston, working as a dietitian privately, and then also through um, a licensed mental health facility. And then I also have my Instagram. So it's kind of this like three-way factor of, I have all these different paths that I could go down, but I like right where I am right now, where I can kind of have a little bit of a touch in all of them. Yeah. 
Well, that's so fascinating. I, yeah, I wasn't really sure, you know, at what point can you decide along that path, you know, Mm -hmm. where do you want to focus, right? And I have lots of friends that are RDs and it's been neat to see them find their niche almost. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's not saying you always have to stay there, but it is cool to see that transition and uh, phenomenal that you got to experience that once more, like early on so that you could really prepare yourself and what a great like experience you've, you know, and just years yeah. of base and knowledge you've gained from it as mm-hmm. well but as I'm curious so that being said like did you yourself ever struggle with disordered eating or was this something that you just sort of saw the need for like you know when you start working with anyone in this field I'm sure you can just feel that like need to help and that mm-hmm. compassion but yeah I'm curious, like what your own personal tie if any was to yeah, it yeah absolutely so I have never been diagnosed with the eating disorder. I have never struggled with a diagnosable eating disorder in my past. I think looking back, I can definitely see when I was a very in a very much disordered relationship with food and with my body and how, how much that did take over my life, especially in the field that I was in. Studying nutrition, there's this kind of idea that you need to be to have the perfect diet or to have the perfect body or else people won't listen to you or all this just like kind of silly, but definitely valid um, fear of having that. Um, But I think when it came to, I guess, eating disorders, it was really just seeing at, at first, it was so funny because I was so young when I got into the, into the field, I was like, wow, these girls are so sick. I want to help them. And I want to go into this not even realizing how disordered I would be in my own head until much later on in my, in my career of recognizing these, these much more subtle, non-diagnosable behaviors that I was engaging in, the thoughts that I was, that I was having that were so disordered, but I would have only seen these really, really severe eating disorders that would take over someone's life, whereas I was in a disordered place, but I didn't recognize it until later on. And then I was able to do something about it in my, in my graduate years, actually, it took me quite a little, a little bit of time to recognize and be able to do something about it. But I don't have, I never struggled as a lot of people have with a, with an eating disorder at a younger age, and then kind of went into dietetics for that reason. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. But I think um, that's very, very common. Um, I think the, the, the very extreme interest in nutrition itself um, can be a little disordered in its in its own way. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. No, and I a that's it's just neat because as you said, like I I think you're the first RD I have interviewed amongst many 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 who has not had yeah. an early start with it personally. Mm-hmm. And so that's what is I I find this very interesting and inspiring too because I know there are others out there you know with the yeah. same situation and also with what you were saying. Like thank you for sharing that because. I think, right, like diagnosed eating disorders get a lot, a lot more attention nowadays. But as I try to show through this show and the many guests we have on, like there are so many much more subtle, but yet just as harmful, just as serious mm-hmm. things that happen to everyone that experiences disordered thoughts, disordered habits, disordered behaviors. And yeah, are human beings of all, you know, sexes, genders, ages, yeah. etc. And so that's like, what's neat is that when you can show, you know, even someone that knows, 
Right. And I, I like to also kind of always showcase that duality there of if you have that like extreme fascination with nutrition or anything, like how does that impact those thoughts and your relationship with food in general? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you felt like that need. So I, I guess in that sense, did you feel like it did kind of increase body image struggles in that sense? Cause you felt like you had to look a certain way or yeah, I guess overall look a certain way to fit into this field. Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely have struggled with body image a, a lot, a, a long time looking back in my life of the, of the things that I would try. And I think a lot of it can be chalked up to just a lot of pressures from society. But I think also for me, I looked really different from everyone from my hometown. It's um, I'm one of very, very few minorities and I just wanted to fit in so bad that I wanted to look a certain way that I wanted to, you know, I, I noticed some of those struggles from a really, really early age when it came to, to body image itself. And I think that the body image is a lot of times the stem of the eating concerns and the eating behaviors. Like a lot of people use, will use eating and food behaviors as, as, as coping skills, but I think a lot of the times it's a means for an end in a lot of sense. Um, the, the diet and the fitness world, it's, it's a means for a change in body, which leads to this happiness. And I have that in air quotes. Um, that people kind of think that they're going to get. And I think I also believed that in a lot of senses of, oh, if I just have a flat stomach or X, Y, Z, like I'll just, I'll be so much happier then. But realistically, it was just all that time I spent disliking my body and how that was affecting me and how that was changing my food, my food habits and making and wanting to then have this pressure of like eating perfectly and having the most balanced diet and being the healthiest and having everything like the newest food trends and and getting into those and, and feeling so much pressure on myself because I thought that's what I needed to do when realistically I step back and I'm like oh my gosh I put myself through so much in that time when I really I could have just kept living my life you know yeah no and like I'm sure I'm sure you probably relate but I feel you where it's like I spent I look back on those years when I was doing insane things you know like so obsessive so invested in all of these things that yeah at the end of the day were to play a part in how my body looked you know or how I felt in my body yeah and now here I am like the least, not the least concerned, but the most freedom, the most like kind of intuitive with food, yeah. movement, whatever. And yeah, like, awesome. yeah, like there's still body struggle days, but fundamentally, like I've never felt more baseline secure and comfortable in my body. Yeah. Right? How much of a awesome. that? But. Yeah. That freedom is really, you can really feel it. It's almost like when you have a cold and you like, don't even realize like how like annoying it is to have like not being able to breathe or to cough all the time and you're like wow I like I miss I miss that so much and it's like that same parallel of like oh yeah these little things we take for granted of like not constantly thinking about our body and being obsessed with what we're eating it's like really nice to have that little bit of freedom absolutely yeah yeah and you mentioned that you started to find that during the grad grad school years Mm -hmm. I guess what were you know if you can reflect back on that time were there any things that you significantly remember that sort of helped you or a specific hurdle you had to overcome um, just to once more highlight these issues and struggles that people can face and then, you know, give a little bit of insight into how they could maybe think about them or approach them in their own journey? Yeah, absolutely. So throughout grad school, I was really training to become an eating disorder dietitian at that point. Um, I was seeing patients out, outpatient um, at, at UConn at the, at the college that I was going to. And went to our undergrad, but it was also, I was learning so much that I hadn't learned in my undergrad about all of these smaller, more, like we said, subclinical behaviors that to look out for. And I'm like, oh, 
am I recognizing some of these in myself right now? Am I learning about some things and, and I'm learning about diet culture and learning about how all bodies fit and how all foods can fit in a, in a um, all bodies can be healthy and all foods can fit in a healthy lifestyle and, and these different, you know, concepts that I hadn't learned in my, in my, the years leading up to becoming a dietitian. Um, it just wasn't really in the curriculum. It's very weight focused, which is unfortunate. And I think that it is changing over time, just going to fancy over these years. It's just like a big conference that um, a lot of dietetic students go to. It's really, the atmosphere is changing, but it's very slow. Um, so in that time, I think that recognizing if you are obsessing around food and body and it's, it's more than just kind of, it's just, I think that we all know deep down if, if our wellness is coming from a, a, from a body or weight standpoint, like really, really deep down and like, oh, like I'm doing this for my health, but deep down, um, it's really about my weight or my size and my, and the way I'm looking that's, that's a good chance that you're, we can recognize some disordered, some disordered behaviors around food, exercise, body checking, things along those lines. Um, and what we can really do about that is, is just start to recognize and, and recognize those behaviors as disordered. And I think that when I started to do that, I realized, wow, these like really aren't serving me in the way that I, I thought that they were. I thought that this checking was helping me. I thought that constantly knowing what I was doing was education and, and more knowledge, but realistically it's become an obsession and it's not fun and it's taking over my life. And, and it's, and it's just, there's a lot of thought around it where I already think about food so much as a dietitian. And I know as other people, it's not typically your job to think about food so often and body so often, but it was just, I felt like it was 24 seven then at that point. Um, so I think if looking on the outside, looking in, everyone was praising me for having all these positive like health behaviors. And I think mm -hmm. that is the catalyst for a lot of people to continue these disordered behaviors because you're getting all this positive feedback of, yes, this is a good thing, but is that just sneaky diet culture coming in and, you know, shaking things up a little bit in your life? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And it, it does come down to that awareness. Right. And mm -hmm. I think that's, what's great about, you know, working with somebody, you know, whether that's a therapist or, a, you know, RD or I don't know, a nutritionist, someone that's educated in this field mm -hmm. has their experience and can kind of hopefully help highlight some areas for you. Yeah. But um, I was curious if you could talk a bit on body checking as, you know, I think it's something a lot of people are kind of like, yeah, you know, whatever, but we, yet we continue to do it. I myself, it's something I've been really struggling with the past few weeks. Um, you've yeah. talked about this on Instagram, it's all over, but just with summer coming, it is always yeah. such a heightened time for me with body image, no matter mm -hmm. how much I prepare myself. And so yeah. I'm really working through it now. Proud of myself this year so far. Very proud of you too. <laughs> Thank you. But like body checking at the end of the day is just still such a, like, oh, it's like a crutch for me. It's something that always throws a wrench yeah. in it for me. So I'm just curious, like from your background and education, yeah. we kind of talk through body checking a bit and yeah. hopefully maybe, you know, get people thinking about why it might not need to be a part of their uh, routine so much as it yeah. is. I loved how you used the word crutch there because that is so much what body checking is to so many people. You're checking to make sure something is either there, if there's a change, if, you know, whatever the case is, I think really similarly, a lot of people have shied away from the scale, um, which is wonderful because I think people are recognizing that your weight 
is just a number, just like any other health measure that doesn't need to hold as much weight as it typically does for a lot of people. And it's not, it doesn't need to be that one thing. The thing about body checking is that it has a lot of layers behind it. And that that's kind of what you have to go through when you're recognizing why am I body checking? What am I looking for? And how is this serving me, this behavior? Typically, when we check our weight, when we check our bodies, even if there is a positive, quote unquote, positive result, it's still reminding you of this negative thought process and a disordered thought process in that moment. So typically, you're seeing something negative, and then you're increasing that negative thought process. So increasing negative affect in that time. So we do that because not because we like to feel negative or because we like to, you know, harm ourselves by any means. But I think it's this crutch that we use to show that, okay, if we're not weighing ourselves, our, is our body changing? And are my insecurities around this season coming through on my body right now? Do I have to do something about this before it's summer? I think there's so many like TikToks, memes, things like that around like, oh my gosh, summer is so soon. Summer's approaching here. There's like a heat wave in Boston. Summer is right now, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I think that swimsuit season, summer in general, is just this like habitual fear that everyone has of like, okay, we're shedding our layers, we're shedding the, the sweaters and the cute jeans and things like that. Like we have to show, we don't have to show a little bit more skin, but the weather just changes. Mm-hmm. And that's can be really scary for a lot of people. And I think especially now with with last year being, you know, COVID, lockdown, quarantine a really, really big change in life. A lot of people have either gained or their bodies have changed, whatever it means. And and that can lead to a lot of body image um, insecurities and things along those lines. Um, I think that when it comes to body checking in particular, it's just recognizing, is this truly serving me? And why, why have I continued this behavior that I know is leading to a negative result? Why have I, am I addicted to this behavior in some aspects? Am I addicted to knowing and checking? It's like, it's a similar idea of when we're checking food labels, when we're checking our weight, when we're checking all these things, it's, it's, it's a, it's a way of feeling safe. That's what crutches are is that they're safety measures. I want to say, and, and I think when we realize those safety measures are actually causing more harm, that's when we can kind of stop those behaviors. But right now it still feels safe to be doing. And that's what we need to kind of focus on. Okay, what do I have besides my body in this moment? What is my body doing for me in this moment? Um, What can I be grateful for that my body is doing, regardless of how I feel about its shape or its size or its blow or its whatever, whatever the case is. There's all these other pieces that we can kind of focus on in these moments when we're having a bad body image day or when we're noticing a lot of body checking and we're noticing that anxiety around, you know, summer and things like that coming up. There are all these little things that we can start to do to, to reflect on why am I engaging in these behaviors and are they really serving me? Because the more we work through this, the easier it gets to slow down and, and just decrease that behavior over time. That was a very long-winded response no, to that. but I, I was soaking off every single word. <laughs> it's also damn like true and relevant. Um, yeah, I mean, I to me, like that just speaks more and more to that base idea of you know how habitual 
disordered eating, disordered thoughts, habits, everything. It's such a habitual state. It's a cycle. And like what you were saying there with like the body checking, right? Like it does become such a crutch and such a habit. And I know it's like, you know, from my viewpoint, I always try to remind myself, like you're checking your body right now because like that disordered part of your mind wants confirmation that you can do X, Y, and Z or confirmation that you shouldn't do X, Y, and Z, right? Like confirmation that you can wear that outfit. Seeking validation, yes. Yes, yeah. And it's, and if I can remember that and I'm just like, wow, like I'm really like, I'm falling back into this habit that I know doesn't serve me. And I'm just like, once it's, you know, it takes time and it takes work and it's only been in the past few months I've even been Mm -hmm. able to differentiate like, you know, body checking isn't just like a, easy breezy habit, right? Like we think of it that way, but you're always seeing yourself reflected. You know, it's, it's easy to just not even think about the fact that you're doing it and not realize Mm -hmm. the negative thoughts that gets going in your head. But when you become aware of it and suddenly like you're conscious of the fact of like, I am body checking, like I'm checking and we all have our specific parts. We do Mm -hmm. usually linked to some past comment or insecurity or whatever it is. Um, and, and yeah, so it's just, it's a very like, it's a very powerful thing to work through and um, definitely it's a really slippery slope as well yes. when it comes to body checking and recognizing how often you're doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even noticing, yeah, if there's times and you're doing it more, which, you know, for me, it's the this moment time of the year, yeah, this time of the year, or if there's heightened anxiety around work, anything that kind of sets me on edge and I'm craving yeah. a bit more control or a bit more safety, you know, safety, that's yeah. when like old habits pop up. So yeah, absolutely. anyone listening, something to be mindful of. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, no. So I, I just think that is so important. And while we're on like this idea of summer and just everything that entails, because it is such a fun time of the year for most people, yeah. I think it's also just like such a, not only can it be stressful with body image and body stuff, but there's also so much just great food events happening, you know, like things mm-hmm. coming out. And for me, it's a season of a lot of like childhood memories and comfort foods and all of this stuff. And um, yeah. that's amazing. And I love it now in the past, it would bring me once more extreme anxiety. and thoughts. Here. So yeah, so I'm just curious, like you did a post about this once and I loved it, but it was sort of mangling, you know, like experience and education uh, and science on the idea of comfort food. Right. And yeah. I'd love if you we could just dive into that as we all approach whether it's summer or they're listening to this later and it's the holidays, um, you know, yeah. food is such a, critical part of life it's meant for enjoyment and everything so yeah if we could help like break down this idea of comfort food and what that means I'd love to just yeah yeah provide that for them yeah so there is this neurological basis for why we eat the foods that we eat when we are when we're seeking comfort which I think is so interesting and it really goes into just the like humanistic parts of our brain that are looking for carb and fat rich foods because they provide this immediate relief and they are a mood booster. And I think that's why food is such a wonderful thing when it comes, like you said, family events, like barbecues, getting together, all these fun events you can think of are centered around food, holidays, um, getting together, like with friends, with family, loved ones, things along those lines. Food is oftentimes the center of that. And that's for a reason. It's for tradition, it's culture, it's all this other stuff. But the reason why we like 
turn towards these sugary, carby, sometimes even fatty foods is because of our brain's neurotransmitters. And the negative emotions that we can occasionally feel that we want to seek comfort or, or a positive feeling after is sometimes why we can turn to food. Um, and that doesn't mean that seeking comfort in food is always a negative thing. There are some foods that are going to be nostalgic to you and just feel comfortable and immediately give you that, that sign of relief. And that's a wonderful thing. It doesn't always need to be a coping skill for something. I think when it gets a little bit more dangerous is when the coping skill is the only coping skill you have in your toolbox and you have nothing else to turn to except for, for coping with food. That's another situation. But I think recognizing that some foods are meant to be comforting and we're allowed to feel that way around these foods. I don't, I would never shame someone for loving a food that provides this type of comfort. So what is your favorite type of, um, of like comfort food, if you can think of it or like, yeah, I'd say like anything chocolate, peanut butter, like baked yeah. sweet sweets, desserts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so our brain has this like reward system, um, through these neurotransmitters. So we have serotonin, we have dopamine, we have oxytocin, we have all these feel good hormones that get activated when we have these specific foods especially ones that we have a history and memory of enjoying having positive emotions with. It's the same way, like say if you were younger, um, I have this story that I threw up after eating, after drinking this like sherbet and like Sprite combination at like a family party, just threw up everywhere. Like I couldn't handle it. And I could never look at sherbet the same way. Like I have like an aversion to sherbet now. And I, that was when I was like seven years old. I'm like, almost 26 now and I'm, I'm still averse to Sherber in a lot of ways. Um, it's kind of a similar mindset of like, we associate these positive, happy emotions with these foods. And then our, our brain activates these wonderful stimuli. And also when we are restricting these types of foods from our body, that makes that food feel even better in the moment. And then the restriction leads to a feeling of guilt and then it immediately de de goes downhill. But that's a different, that's a different topic. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the reason why we eat these comfort foods in response to emotional stress. A lot of times I work with a lot of patients who have struggle with emotional eating. And the first thing I always say is that it's okay that you're engaging in this behavior. This is humanistic and normal for you to want to find comfort in food. It's supposed to be this wonderful, comforting thing when we run into these problems and these, and these negative feelings, we can seek other coping skills too. I think it's kind of like not completely saying no to this behavior, but also recognizing like, it's okay that you're feeling this way. This is normal. And I think that when I, specifically with all the different, I have eating disorders, I have disordered eating, I have people that just want to work on their relationship with food. It's so much of a, I feel like I'm the only person going through this right now. And that's like never the case. I can, usually what I'll say, I don't know if it's helpful or not, but I'm usually like, I have so many patients that have this exact thought process that have this exact, you know, trajectory or have this exact, um, yeah, like behavior that they are in a different body and a different head and a different you know, different age. I have patients from like 60 to 13 right now, like so spread out. 
and they're still going through kind of a similar experience. So just because we're not talking about it, this might be your, your first time talking about this type of thing. It doesn't mean that no one else is going through it because think about all the people you didn't tell in your life and how many people in your life are probably going through a similar, a similar experience. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Oh, there's a lot there, but even that last bit about, yeah, like just, you're not alone in it. Right. Like I, I know that's what first drew me to Instagram and why I started to love the community more and more was just that confirmation of like, wow, all my friends on here are, you know, struggling with this on that too. And, and beyond that, like I'm a waitress and the amount of people I see struggling with this on a daily as I'm taking their order, you know, and they're like, they go to order this and they're like, oh, actually like I shouldn't, but like, oh my gosh, the, the stuff I hear, I'm just yeah. like, A, thank God I'm I no longer in that place. Yeah. And then B, I'm yeah. like, I wish I could just say, get the fucking fries. Like, oh my gosh, like there's yeah. so many things. And even seeing that has helped confirm in my mind of like, I don't want to live like that. Right. Like I want to be able to go out to the restaurant and just get the food that's like I'm craving or that is going to provide me like some comfort. Cause it's a fun day, whatever yeah. it is. And so, yeah, I think that is whatever sounds good, right? Yeah. Like truly just like honoring your body and what you want. And I have some curious too, like with how you mentioned guilt in there a few times. And I know for me personally, like, as I've been working through my own emotional eating journey, cause I had that, you know, I I never had like binge eating, but I definitely had emotional eating and a lot, it it built up very quickly with a lot of stuff in my past. And Mm -hmm. it took a long time for me to move from that guilt mindset into the compassion mindset of like, why am I doing, why do I feel the urge to eat mm-hmm. this way? Or why, what is driving this, this urge, this habit to emotionally eat. And when I was able to switch from that guilt mindset to compassion, it did allow me, like you said, to start sharing a bit more and eventually start finding new coping mechanisms. And now mm-hmm. I feel like much better with my emotional relationship to food and not perfect, but we're getting there. But I just, I would love yeah. to talk a bit about that. Like guilt and compassion piece. Um, as yeah. you know, you so many people, I'm sure you see that happen quite often. Oh, absolutely. There is this, this cycle, the cycle, the binge and restrict cycle that I think can be played into this emotional, like kind of situation that we were talking about, the emotional stress, the emotional eating, things along that line. When we feel deprivation from something, it's almost, it's almost human nature for us to need to override that. Um, which is why, you know, dieting doesn't work, but at the same time, why it's so difficult and why diet culture is so difficult is that it's so black and white. When it comes to the food guilt and trying to provide yourself compassion, for me, my job is to neutralize things for my patients. So we neutralize body, we neutralize food, because in this culture of such extremes and black and white and behaviors, we have to find this gray area. I think balance is such an overused word. It's in my Instagram handle, but it's such an overused thing, but really finding that some sort of gray area, middle ground of I'm allowed to have a spectrum. I think like a spectrum in any sense, in a lot of different parts of like other people's lives, we need a spectrum when it comes to our relationships with food and the types of food that we're having and that we're allowing ourselves to have. And that's in quotes because you're allowed to have all foods, but um, I can't even explain that because I keep forgetting on a podcast. No, I, I'm the same way. I'm like, I will say something then after. That's a quote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and so I really think that when we 
when we recognize that guilt around food, we have to recognize that we are feeling guilty for a reason. Like we should never feel guilty for any sort of food or eating any sort of food because realistically, if we think about it in a logical way, what did you do wrong in that moment? Was anything like, was a crime committed? Did you hurt someone in your life? Did you hurt yourself even? No, none of that happened. Um, there should not be any guilt involved in this situation. However, we built it up in our head. And I think the media and just the culture that we have around us sees like, oh, I'm gonna get the fries. I'm so bad in quotes. And I think I'm sure you hear that so many times as, as a waitress, I'm sure. And then recognizing that like, how does this make me a bad person? It doesn't. The morality of food, it needs to stop being a thing. Um, but that's where we can kind of come in with that compassion of like, I'm working on this thing of like trying to decrease this good and bad mentality, this right or wrong, this gray area. And this like, this sometimes thing is something that we can really embrace in these moments and finding some sort of middle ground so that we don't just go from black to white, from black to white and feel horrible in between. There is that middle ground where you can be happy and, and appreciate both sides without turning away from, from the fries or just getting, you know, whatever, whatever it is. I think fries is such a big one because that's such a common movie phrase of like, yeah, we're so bad today. You know, let's share these things like that. Yeah. No, it's most common with the fries and I'm just. Yeah. And then people be like, Oh, I'm going to get the fries. I'm like, yeah, good choice. No. Good but, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, I love what you said there about bringing the morality into it mm-hmm. because as you were speaking, it just kind of like clicked for me. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Like we're feeling guilty because it's, it's like, we're tying what we eat in our body to like, as if they're morals, like I am morally, yeah. I'm doing, I am, you know, like guilt is when it's like an action that you're ashamed, whatever it is. And to think that like, we're feeling guilty about a food because yeah, it's like a morals attached to it or because we automatically think that it's going to make us gain weight or X, Y, Z. Like yeah. it, it is crazy when you think about it, it can just be such a hard thought to fully process. I think when you're in the depths of these habits and thoughts and behaviors. So um, yeah, I'd like urge people to kind of think on that. Like, where are you like tying the morals to food in your body? Or like you said, yeah. labels, uh, kind of things like that, because it can hold so much weight over us as well. Absolutely. I think that what people don't recognize is how emotional food truly is to everyone and every part of their life. And it's something that you can't abstain from at any point. So like, I have a lot of addicts um, who are also in eating disorder recovery. And it's so difficult because you cannot abstain from food in any aspect. Your body, this is something your body is a basic necessity, is a need for your body. And it really is something that is so closely tied to other parts of us. And that's why any sort of disordered eating, eating disorder, it's so much more complicated. I do this, like, um, this, like, I say this analogy on a very regular basis where when it comes to our, our health and our wellness, I think what everyone sees is this like very, very tip of this iceberg, which is our weight, our size, what we're eating, how we're moving our body, all these things that people can physically see. And then you know, below the surface of the water, there's this huge mass of emotion and stress and true health and, you know, and, and mental health and the way that we view ourselves and our body image and all the stuff that boils up under the, under the water. And, but everyone only sees this little tip at the top. And I think that's what I like to go through so much is like recognizing there's so much beyond the surface. And I think, especially with Instagram, 
diving into that below the surface idea beyond what an eating disorder or what disordered eating or even your relationship with food truly looks like at the end of the day. It's like that mucky stuff underwater that we have to untangle and have to work through and have to look at and dissect and like, where did this come from? You know, was this learned or was this something Mm -hmm. that, that, that we, that has grown from something that from your childhood and, and things along those lines. Yeah, no, it's been fascinating. I love that analogy because it, it rings very true for me as I started therapy this past January when I just sort of hit this wall and I was like, I am, I need to prioritize mental health. It's mm-hmm. affecting me in so many more ways than I'm even content, you know, realizing in this moment. And so I started therapy and it's been unreal to me to unravel, as you said, unravel, detangle, whatever phrase you want to word, yeah. use there of like how deep these thoughts and habits and behaviors mm-hmm. and beliefs go like yeah. so, so deep. And especially yeah, with how much outside influence is also adding into our internal environment. Like it's just unreal and not saying that to scare people or be like, whoa, but just to confirm, like reaffirm that idea of like, there's just so much that we're not even taking into account or prioritizing. And so I guess like on that end, like, is there a question or just something you urge people to kind of think about if they are struggling with disordered eating, like something that you might help use with your clients to help them start to even like approach that idea of like that underwater, you know, like yeah. the entanglement that can be there. Yeah. Like if there's just something you usually like prompt them to think about or a question you ask. Yeah. Something the first thing about. I usually, I usually start with is what was your relationship with food growing up? Like, because that's a big, a lot of the times for a lot of people, it can reach back to that time. And then, and then I start from there and I go straight through where we are now. And I'm like, how has that changed? What has changed? Like, how did you, how was the food situation like when you were at home? What was it like when you were in high school, college, you started to gain independence? Where did all of that kind of, how did all that shift over time? And when you kind of evaluate that and reflect on these little things you kind of forget about here and there. And I'm obviously, I'm like prodding, pricking and prodding along the way, but um, that's a big one that I'll, I'll go into. And I think that's, I really attribute that one to Christy Harrison. She has a really mm-hmm. wonderful podcast. And that's the first question she asks every single guest. And it's something that helps helped me so much in my practice of understanding, like, where is this, where is this client coming from? And wh- what is their history? Because everyone has their own story and it's so uniquely their own. And, and it's really, really interesting to hear about their family life and how that's affected their relationship with food, how their bodies um, has changed over time or the way they viewed their bodies over time and how that's played a big role. I think that muckiness, I think the other piece that I also go through through with a lot of patients is the self-worth piece and the body image piece and how this is something I go through a lot. It's going to be a little bit harder to explain um, without without using my hands. But basically what we have is we have these two, I like to call them like barometers. So I have these two buttons that go up and down. So we have our self-worth up here and this thing kind of, this kind of stays up here, always in the same place. And then we have our body image, which is allowed to be fluid. It's our perception of ourselves. And as that decreases, we cannot attach our self-worth to that and let it bring our self-worth down. We have to keep those things separate and our self-worth is rock solid. Our body image is allowed to, you know, go up and down, become fluid on those specific days. But we have to recognize that our body image or our self-worth is always rock solid and stays 
wherever we think our body image might be. And that's a really big one when it comes to finding worth and feeling deserving enough for either help or deserving enough to do certain things for yourself or reaching out or whatever the case is, where is your self-worth and are you attaching it to your, to the way you're viewing your body or the way that you're viewing yourself in a lot of ways? Oh my gosh. I, I love that. And I think you did a great job explaining it, even without hand motions. <laughs> I use a lot of hand motions on Zoom. I feel you. Know, I'm <laughs> constantly reminding myself. People cannot see you, Emily. But um, no, I, I think that's been a bit the biggest realization I've had of late is right, like that self worth and the body image part. Because for so long, I mean, I I just kind of thought like, how will I ever break this cycle? Because my body image is constantly changing, and you know, I I let it dictate how I feel about myself, my self worth essentially. Mm-hmm. And at the one point, I just heard someone kind of say and you know share about how with them, you know, it's like body image will always be there. Like nobody mm-hmm. is going to be. I mean, I shouldn't say that, but I feel like I you know will always kind of have this yo-yo you know like some days you just feel differently whatever it is and to just accept that that will be fluid and there will be days where you don't feel as great in your body days where you feel great whatever and then to just remember though that that self-worth is detached from that Mm -hmm. and self-worth comes from so much more (laughs) personality mind all of these things that is so powerful like what a great sense of freedom essentially to know that yes like body image may come and go it may it, it might be a struggle yeah. But like you, you do have the power and it can be done to detach that self-worth yeah. from it. And like, that is, oof, that's like a big point. I want yeah. people to really yeah. hone in on. The but, reason why everyone loves you has nothing to do with your body. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people forget that. And when we change our shift, our perspective away from like hyper analyzing our bodies, we can recognize the reasons why we love everyone in our life. And it's not because of their body. It's not even because of the way they look by any means. Um, and remembering that deep, deep down of like, this is why people like to spend time with me and and love me and love me for me. They've, they've seen my body at all different shapes and sizes. And that never mattered. That never mattered to them. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, also just remembering that, right. Like these parts of me that people do love, like my personality, my, whatever it is, if I let those constantly be depleted by the quote unquote bad body image days, mm-hmm. you know, like also like what effect does that have? Like you show up differently to your relationships in your life. And we yeah. all see that with how we interact with our family, friends, peers, you know, coworkers, et cetera, that when you're really struggling on those days, like it just, it, when it's attached to your self-worth, like everything drops. And so I think that's also like another reminder of if you have those two separate, like you, no matter how you feel in your body, like you're showing up as like, your true self, you know, like every, every, you know, more often. And, and that's what people, you know, are drawn to. And that's what people, you know, they're there for your personality, you fundamentally, not your body. And so I think, yeah, that's such a important reminder to have and just something to be aware of. So Mm -hmm. thank you for saying that. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, They're all little helpful, helpful tidbits that I utilize in my, in my sessions for sure. Oh my gosh. Well, I love that. And you said you offer, so you work one-on-one with people? Yes, I do work on one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you work yeah. with uh, another like mental health professional. Yeah. And that's only in Massachusetts. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's in Boston, but all Massachusetts based. And then my private practice, um, I work with people all over actually. Okay. Oh, that's great. Yeah, no, that's great to know. Cause I know 
I've run into problems before with like states and mm-hmm. you know you can't go here whatever it is but yeah it's amazing to to know and um yeah I guess sort of like wrapping things up if you have anything else that you'd like to just leave people with otherwise I'd love to yeah, like let people know where they can connect and find you and learn yeah. more because you are such a such a light <laughs> thank you so much yeah I really I had such a fun time I've never done a podcast before but oh um gosh. I think if I would leave the listeners with anything it would really be to remember even no matter where you are in this journey there's no failing and I think people have a really tough time with lack of progress in a lot of this stuff and get feeling stuck there's no such thing as failure when you are looking towards healing your your relationship with food or getting becoming an intuitive eater or healing your relationship with your body any means it all takes time and you have to remember how long you spent in a mindset that was disordered and and that was so difficult and that you can't just kind of learn this and and move on so so quickly we have this this memory in us and we have these deep rooted you know, issues a lot of the times and it takes time and it's okay if there's, um, there's some spirals, but we're still moving in the right direction always. That was what I would kind of like to leave with everyone. Um, yeah. A warranted reminder. Yeah. No, it's fluid state there. I like, Mm -hmm. I love that. Exactly. Yeah. Well, where can people connect and learn more and follow along? Yeah. I love your content on on the gram and then obviously you're doing amazing things in real time as well so yeah so my instagram is just balanced by sarah um my website is just sarahchow.com and you can find all information about working with me um getting like um, learning more about my services um i have trying to figure out some blog situation with that um my Instagram is mostly where I'm posting though and where to find like the most updated stuff, information, um, some like little resources, explaining as much as I can within a, within a social media platform, I guess. Um, and, and yeah, so that's, that. that's pretty much, that's pretty much all for me. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I'll have it all linked below as well. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me.